Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. It was the experience of being with a group of people and summit in the mountain and that feeling of accomplishment as a group. And that's been something I've been really used to over the years playing rugby, is that you know, rugby is not an individual sport, it's a team sport. And we were certainly a team. Today, I'm chatting with Stephen Ferris, the Ulster, Ireland and Lions rugby legend. Stevie talks about his climb up Kilimanjaro with us in January 2019 and how he thought it was one of the toughest things he's ever done. He was part of a team from the IRFU Charitable Trust who raised close to €200,000 for seriously injured rugby players. He talks about sharing a tent with the infamous Mike McCarthy and his newfound love for getting outdoors. We begin our chat discussing how he got talked into climbing Kilimanjaro, so let's get right in there. It's actually Shane Byrne, I think, rang me up and he says, oh, you want to climb a mountain? And I was like, not particularly, why? And he's like, oh yeah, come on, we'll climb, we'll climb Kilimanjaro. And then I think within a few hours, you had actually been in contact. And I think it was very quickly, there was RFU or IRUPA, Irish Rugby Players Union, um, that look after the lads now and do a lot of their off-field stuff. They were trying to do something for the charity. You had obviously got in the mix Thurse Edge, and then Shane Byrne, who is a good pal of mine and obviously played rugby over the years. So, yeah, before I'd actually even thought about it, James, I'd already said yes. So awesome. I, just kind of, I just kind of rolled with it. And then I was like, do you know what? It's just for such a great cause. I've heard people saying it's really tough. I'll make up my own mind. And the only way to do that was to actually go and, go and do it. Like, I know, obviously, that the charity was very close to your own heart with your own um, history of injuries, but was Kilimanjaro something on your bucket list for a long time? or No, no, not in the slightest. I think I would go around the Mourns quite a bit. Mark Robson, who is a commentator for, was with Sky for a long time, is now working with me on Premier Sports at the minute. Um, he would run ultra marathons. He's been in the Swiss Alps. He's been in the Sahara Desert, you know, 50 plus miles in grueling conditions um, we would always go out in the mountains together and push each other a little bit test each other in terms of where we're at physically but it's also a mental side for me so Mark would always say that he would get up in the morning and he would go to the more mountains and he would set out at half seven and he would do a three or four or five hour loop do a couple of summits and get back in the car and he calls it a brainwash where for me it's the reset button where everything negative that I've been kind of thinking about anything that's been distracting any anxiety or stress I kind of I think about it massively on the car on the way there and then when I get out on the mountains I push myself hard and I just seem to get back into the car and everything that I've thought about is is nowhere near as big a problem as I thought it was 
It's a great way to, to do that. And the more mountains and a few other mountains around Uri and my brother-in-law, he lives over in Scotland. So he's always around uh, Ben Lomond, isn't it? Ben Nevis, yeah, or Loch Lomond, yeah. Right, around Loch Lomond, around there. Been a few summits around there. So it's something that I enjoy. But to go back to your question, no, Kilimanjaro was not on a bucket list to do. But when the opportunity came up, as I said there, probably I'd say quicker than a I maybe should have. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no regrets. You know, it's an experience anyway. Yeah, it was. And hey, we'll, we'll we'll get to talk about that. But I found that really interesting. You're talking about um, you know, clearing your head. Like, what is it about getting out hiking? Be it like the Morins or you know, someone's local hill, or you know, taking on something like Kilimanjaro. Like, can you verbalize what it is that um gives you that clarity in in, in your thoughts? I have friends that go to the Morins and they spend all day. They spend six hours to get up to the top of Sleeves Honoured and they spend four hours getting down and they've had the best days crack and they stop off for a picnic and they do all that. I'm not one of those people. I use the morns or use mountains as more of a challenge to myself. So I kind of get into a zone. I am a little bit competitive. So I'm very competitive with myself. But six weeks ago, my best time up Sleeves Honoured from stepping out of the car to the top of Donard was like one hour nine or something like that. Nice. I had, to, I had to break it. So I set off, started jogging through the forest. And during that jog through the forest, all I have is one focus, and that's to beat my time up to the top. So worrying about being furloughed or worrying about, you know, coronavirus or where it is at the minute and family, just everything seems to... It's still in your mind, but it seems to go right to the back. Before I know it, halfway up, I'm at a good, steady walking pace. I have the head down and, and I pass a few people on the way by. And I get to the top and it was one hour six. For like a beat my time by three minutes. Uh, and anybody who's climbing up mountains, three minutes is a bloody long time. So, yeah, and I got to the top. And as soon as I got to the top, I made my way back down. And I get into the car and I was completely busted, like so tired physically mentally tired and went home and had the best night's sleep ever and, and as I said it's, it's just like a the reset of going to the mountains yes of course when you're out with a friend or if I'm out with Mark Robson or Tony Davis who the old former SNC coach of Ulster we go out the odd time you have good chats you talk about family you talk about things that are getting on top of you like Kilimanjaro was all about everybody you find out there's 32 people on that trip you find out if anybody's kids, family, what dog they have, you know, what their job is, what car they drive, what food they like. You know, you get to really know people. You know, being on the mountains, being in a really good environment is is brilliant for the soul and brilliant for, for the health. It's something that I've kept up and I've probably kept it up more so after Kilimanjaro because I'm definitely better at navigating mountains. I feel like I'm better with poles. I feel like I learned a lot on the trip to Kelly, which I've been able to put into practice. And it's small things that, that really make a difference. And you know, thankfully with you guys, those small things really added up. And that's why all 32 people summoned it in the end. Yeah, it was amazing to get everybody up there. Did you go out many, like on many hiking trips as a kid growing up? Or did you like going on adventures with your mates? No, I ne- never, never went up mountains like really. It was always cross fields, uh, jumping on the bike and... Uh, going for long distance and uh, there's a there's a towpath close to where I live here so it's very uh, accessible down there you know you can go maybe 
seven or eight miles on that. So as a young kid, maybe 10 years of age, 11 years of age, jumping your bike and going 11 or 8, 9, 10, 11 miles, it probably feels like you're going 111 miles. It was more football, sport, rugby when I get into school uh, rather than actually getting out on with mum and dad. They, they didn't climb or anything. So. You're never too late to come to, to mountains. So that's absolutely awesome. So com- you calling me old? Oh, I didn't say that now, you know. I was calling you sexy earlier on, so it's, it's all good. You've got to balance out the compliments with the with the slagging as well, you know. So, man, talk to me about uh, our trip. Like, what were your abiding memories from that trip? Initially, I had no idea what to expect. I chatted to a few people that had been before. Everybody's trip's different. Like, obviously, there's the different routes. There's the weather conditions. You know, the trip that we were on was probably high-end compared to a lot of trips that... People that no one had went on, not as many porters, toilet facilities really poor, um, hygiene quite poor. Something about our trip that I, you know, come back singing praises about was how good our tents were, how good the toilet facilities, you know, the food. Yes, the food's not great, but at the same time, you're getting cooked a hot meal uh, two or three times a day. So uh, it was hard to complain. Jumping on the plane, it was just good to get there, I suppose. And then we had a two hour felt like about five hours on the, on the bus and because there was quite a few of us it wasn't like we could sprawl out over a couple of seats we were all packed in like like sardines into, into the like the mini buses and all our stuff put on top of it obviously good luck met us at the airport i done the typical like typical question oh right good luck i'm steven nice to meet you many times have you climbed up mount kilimanjaro and like he gets asked that every time <laughs> but it was me i was the person i was like if I, were, if I played rugby, people always ask me, so who's your favourite player? You know, what's the best match you've played in? And it's exactly the same thing. But I couldn't help myself. And when he told me over 200 times or something, I, I can't remember the stat, I was just like, whoa, right, okay. But that's his job, you know. And we, we got to Arusha. We got, uh, got there. I was rooming with Mike McCarthy. We got a good feed. Before we knew it, we woke up. We were at the foot of the mountain. The weather wasn't particularly great. And everybody was just sitting looking at each other going, right, this is actually happening. So that's my my first memories of getting there. I know the trip from door to door was 10 days. That first day and a half was probably more grueling than the, the first day and a half in the mountain. Just because of the lead up, the travel, you're already busted getting to Africa or Russia. And you just wanted a bit of your own space and get your head down for a few hours and the mountain creeps up on you quickly. Yeah. Come here, you mentioned good luck there. I, I just think I was going to ask you about him because I know you guys um, formed a really close bond. He was one of the our local guides in the trip. Like, What was your impression of our team out there and everyone working on the mountain? Were you impressed with them? Yeah, I was super impressed. You hear all these stories as well about, you know, porters and, you know, the, the you know, keep yourself to yourself and, you know, don't be mentioning certain things and like, you could sit down and say good luck and have a conversation about anything. He's still working really hard on his English. He didn't know what I, what the hell I was saying, like, because of my Belfast accent. I was going to say, man, you got to take some responsibility for that one yourself, like, yeah, play yeah, with good luck, yeah. you know? But yeah, like, initial impressions, as soon as we walked out of the airport, there's four or five guys who took our bags. It was maybe 35 degrees from 30, 35 degrees when we, we, we landed. And these guys are sweating bucketfuls throw on 25, 35 kg rucksacks on top. You know, all they wanted for us was to be feel like we were safe, secure, and well taken care of. 
And that started from the minute we got off the plane to the minute we got back on the plane to go home. So, um, yeah, good luck in the, in the rest of his team. All the guides and porters really looked after as well. And there was probably five or 600 quids worth of gear that I give to good luck just because this guy's walking out of his shoes here. There's a pair of boots for you, 200 odd quid. There's a brand new wet jacket that I barely wore. Give him that, give him a few other things. And I think a lot of people on the trip were the same um, just because... You know, they're up and down the mountain on a weekly basis and they probably needed a hell of a lot more than me. So, yeah, the guides were absolutely fantastic. Let's take a break there for some quick fire questions. What was your first job? Labouring. What song is always on your workout playlist? Mario Bacotta, Iguana. What are you reading right now? I'm not, I'm not reading anything. I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, people ask me that all the time as well. It always makes you feel thick. You're like, yeah, yeah I'm I like, actually can't read. Uh, like, I should be reading a book. Yeah, 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 exactly, man. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? Bear Grylls. What is your favorite food to eat on a mountain? <laughs> Fruit. What's your favorite piece of kit? Poles. What's your biggest pet peeve when traveling? Oh, I've so many to be honest with you. My wife not being prepared for traveling, and I'm constantly getting up and up and down out of the seat to pull things out of the locker above and clean, and uh, get me my headphones and back up again, down again, get me water bottle back up. So yeah, probably the wife not being prepared. That's hilarious, man. Relationships are the dream times, huh? If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? Play golf. And finally, describe yourself in three words. Honest, durable, and sexy. I was just going to say, you are sexy, man. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Or modest, you know, good man. Great answer. You shared the mountain um, with Mike McCarthy, Shane Byrne, and Marcus Oren, three other uh, rugby legends. How was that, man? Talk to me about the guys. Like, You know yourself. You find yourself on certain days with like different groups, so you start off walking in the morning. I think the first day, me, Marcus and Shane, actually, we were all just having a bit of crack on the way up. And then the second day, it was Marcus, myself and Shane. Mike was, he was way up front with whatever guide was uh, leading the way. And we spent so much time talking about rugby and about family and about work and business and everything. Uh, and we were maybe going for say three hours before we actually took a break and um, again the weather was half decent we were working up a decent sweat you know there are lads that i've known for many years like i won the grand slam with marcus in 2009 but yet i didn't know him at all really compared to getting to know him on the mountain probably like going to a bar with 30 people and having one or two drinks for 10 days straight that's exactly the same feeling as it was in the mountain the three lads were brilliant and Mike brought a lot of humour to the trip. We also brought a lot of annoyance. <laughs> I had to share a tent with him, which was challenging at times to say the least. But he always brought a smile to your face. And as much as he probably grated in people a, a bit just because of he was so repetitive and he was relentless. You know, James, James, are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? He would say something like, five minutes later and you just turn around and start laughing or smiling so like all that crack that he was having and the annoyance that he was being he, he always made up for it like so yeah. um, if anybody had been struggling 
he'd have been the first guy to drop back and, and help him up or you know sit down for 15 or 20 minutes he, he's that type of bloke so I think a lot of the people on the trip we can now call friends which is which is amazing yeah I think you touched on it there it's really fantastic you know just being not on your phone and having proper chats and connecting with people it just happened so organically on a big trip like that so yeah, it was good. I, I was funny earlier on, you were mentioning how great our tents are. I, I was sure you were going to give me some grief about putting the two biggest guys in the trip in the <laughs> one tent, you know? Yeah, well, I, I, I think I give you a lot of grief after the trip on the way home. Yeah, well, like, as I said there, Mike was annoying at times, but when you wake up in the morning and he brought a smile to your face by saying something funny or, you know, was having to crack, like, yeah. we, had, we had a lot of laughs in the tent, just to say that. Still watching him uh, one of the mornings on the mountain, he he got up and started break dancing for everybody. And I'm like, God, this guy's like 115, 120 kg. If he hurts his back, how am I going to get him off this mountain? But, you know, if I'd have said to him, Mike, stop doing that, he would have done it like 10 times yeah, worse. Yeah. So you're just like, <laughs> he's so funny. You were widely regarded as one of the toughest guys ever to play for, for Ireland, a real hard man of rugby. You know, if anyone hasn't seen your highlights reel on YouTube, that will confirm the same thing, you know, picking up Will Kenya and the likes. Yet you found Kilimanjaro extremely tough. You described it as the hardest thing you've ever done. Like, were you surprised with how tough it was? I was, on reflection, the 10 days more or less just caught up on you on, on summit night. Getting up at 12, I hadn't really slept that well. Conditions were quite tough at uh, just above, was it Kosovo camp we were at? Yeah. The conditions were tough. It was extremely cold. There was a wee bit of snow and that. So when we started the climb, I was full of beans, full of energy. And then probably, like, I had in my head again the mental challenge of it. We only had, what, eight or 900 metres to go, 1,000 metres maybe. Like, I had it in my head. Sleep honoured is 894 metres high. So I can easily do that. Again, it's no problem. But it's not easily done at 5,000 metres of altitude. Yeah. <laughs> and you haven't particularly eaten, eaten that much. Um, you haven't slept that well, obviously. I have a dodgy left knee, but it was actually my right knee. I think I tweaked my patella tendon in my right knee. And would you believe it? Like the crappiest, most horrendous bandage uh, actually helped it a lot. <laughs> so I think that was Fiona that put that on yeah. and, and helped me. And I was grueling through, it was maybe about two hours. I was really struggling with my knee, but I had my headphones in, being a little bit selfish and, and just trying to get in the zone and just keep it going, listening to some uh, dance music or whatever, just grind it out. And my knee was excruciating. And I was like, what am I going to do here? Like, what am I going to do? I'm definitely not backing out. Like, I'll, I'll go up on one leg. And there are parts, it's very like back and forth, back and forth, windy, windy. It's not like you're just going up a steep slope the whole way. And then when we, we got to the summit, it was obviously extremely cold. I don't know what the temperature was, James, minus 15, 20, would it have been? Yeah, about that, man. It was freezing up there, yeah. Yeah. And just when we were kind of getting up past Stella Point, the sort of sun came up. and I whipped out my phone straight away and took a couple of pictures because there was this mist and haze that just hung around and there was a little bit of like blizzardy snow that came and went the odd time. And I took a couple of pictures because it was the only time that we actually witnessed <laughs> the sunshine for about three days. <laughs> and then I was actually chatting to one of the lads that we actually climbed with, and I would climb Kilimanjaro again just to get wow. sunshine views. 
did I have this sense of like, wow, you know, this is just like everything that I've dreamt of when I got to the top. You know what? I probably would climb it again, like just to try and get those views. Amazing, man. I guess yeah. You, when when you're when you're asked like I could have asked you when we got back down to Russia, I'll I'll pay you like a million euro to go back up or even a million pounds, man. You would have been like, no, thank you. But now, <laughs> you know. Well, now now the COVID's hit. Like I might have taken you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> like there was thirty two of us. You know, um, were you impressed with some of the other people who summited it? Some of them were nearly twice your age. Yeah, well, I think everybody that was on that trip, when the going got tough, everybody seemed to you know dig their heels in. Probably Graham, he'll hate me for saying this, <laughs> he got a, a couple of porters or a couple of guides to help him down the last stage back to Kosovo camp. It wasn't because he couldn't do it. He was just absolutely exhausted. He was just knackered. If the lads hadn't have been there, he would have made it down, but it would have taken him maybe three or four times longer. But that was obviously a, a laughing point for everybody else. Give him a bit of slag and take the piss out of him. That's why you're on here, man, to take the piss out of your mates, you know? Graham, actually, I was on. I was um, with him on on the way up, man. I would say he was uh, just didn't have a good day, and he was a little slower than the rest of you guys. But uh, yeah. we still hit Stella Point in five hours, which is really fast. You know, I've seen people take eight, nine hours to get to that point, so that'd be an extreme case. But yeah, he was still relatively strong. But I find it so inspiring to see people do this. You know, with, with little or no experience, it, I think it's incredible. You know, so um, well, anybody who's doing Kilimanjaro or thinking of doing Kilimanjaro. I, I was expecting to like have to go for like rope lessons and like uh, how to put crampons on and you know you're gonna have to like dig in and snow climbs and all this and like that's completely not the case. It was actually really enjoyable and it was a bit of fun and again it wasn't dangerous in the slightest. It's like anything, any line of work, if if you've got the right tools, it makes it a hell of a lot easier. So that's one thing that I found really important was everything that I had was was top drawer and it made things a little easier for me getting up. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you that. What what would your top tips be for someone who's in between somewhere on the couch in a 5K and maybe hitting the gym twice a week? Like, it, I think people get the impression about Kilimanjaro that it's super hard. You mentioned ropes there and it's really not the case. Like, what advice would you give to someone like that who's, who's thinking of doing it? Do you just want to climb Kilimanjaro to run around and tell everybody that you've climbed Kilimanjaro? It is one of the tallest peaks in the world. It's a, it's a real challenge, but no problem. I think it was the training for it James so it wasn't just I rolled out of bed one day jumped on a flight to Arusha and climbed Kilimanjaro I spent a lot of time in the mornings I got myself into really good shape if I hadn't have done that would I have made it to the top I probably would but who knows I made sure that I didn't leave any stone unturned and I was physically in good condition well as, as good as I can be with all my bloody rope injuries like mm-hmm. but um and it gave me something to train towards. So like people, you know, the sofa to 5K, they just, just don't jump off a sofa and do 5K. They jump off a sofa, they go out and they do 1K at a really slow pace. And then two days, three days later, they do 1.5K at a slightly higher pace. And then they go back again. So it's just about getting to that final end point. Kilimanjaro, number one, it was the experience of being with a group of people and summiting a, a mountain and that feeling of accomplishment as a group. And that's been something I've been really used to over the years playing rugby, is that you know, rugby is not an individual sport, it's a team sport. And we were certainly a team, and I think it showed with the 32 people getting to the top. So anybody out there is thinking of doing it, if you like a team environment, 100% get involved. If you're somebody who 
is a bit of a recluse who you know likes to go and do things on their own it's probably not for you yeah it's, it's a real team thing and and again we've as i alluded to earlier there i made a hell of a lot of friends out of it as well yeah i think there is there is no one thing i think people gotta look at equipment and training but i think that's what you know you see so much emotion on the top man because people go through a journey in the year or six months leading up to this thing and it's just uh, it all kind of captivates when they get to the top and Anyway, I was going to ask you, how's the body holding up, man? You were, you were. I saw you on Instagram lifting some big, uh, big weight there. What's the state of play since I was last, last saw you? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, like that's all well and good, been able to squat hundred kgs. But believe it or not, I've only played a couple of rounds of golf this last six months. I had to get steroid injections in my wrists. So yeah, if it's not one thing, it's something else. But yeah, hopefully that'll help. I'll try and get back in the golf course a bit more. In terms of my legs or lower limbs. My ankle gives me a bit of chip now and again. Uh, both knees are temperamental, to say the least. I would have very limited range in my right ankle. I'm obviously in the joint, so if you're on an incline, you're always closing the front of the joint up a hell of a lot. So I wore a heel raise in my, in my boots for uh, on my right right leg the whole way up, which certainly helped things. I was really impressed to hear you're, you're out in the moorings a lot more, man. And to be honest with you, amazed to hear that you, you consider going back to Killy again, you know. Do you, th- do you feel like you've caught the bug for mountains? Is it something that you want to keep doing? Yeah, it was always in there. Like, you know, I just don't think climbing Mount Kilimanjaro has given me this love for the mountains. So again, it's about setting myself goals. So the seven summits in the moorings. Before I went to Kilimanjaro, I'd only climbed two of the seven, Donard and Binion. So I made that a goal, which I just completed there with Robbo. And we got a miserable day for it. We got to the top of Comoda. It was completely fogged over. The way we went, we went up from the other side and we go up and you get to like a big turret. And the turret actually isn't the top. And that's one of the reasons why I like going out with Marcus because he's able to pull out a compass He's able to uh, navigate very, very well. He's a couple of friends in Mountain Rescue who uh, he's trained with a bit over the years. So we were able to get the compass out. There's maybe only 10 metres of visibility. Get ourselves on a starting point and then we walked to the summit and he presented me with a wee tiny cup. Uh, in fairness, it's the only silverware I've won like in about 12 years. <laughs> did he put some whiskey in it for you, did he? No, he didn't. Oh. He's, a bit of a, he's a bit of a tight arse like. So <laughs> again, that was just a challenge. And tell me, any aspirations to climb something bigger than Kilimanjaro? <laughs> Not in the immediate future, no. Yeah. I don't think climbing higher and higher and higher is something that is appealing to me. I would go and climb other mountains that are half the height of Kilimanjaro, but maybe it's a six or seven day experience, but the scenery is amazing. You know, the wildlife's amazing. Everest Base Camp would be pretty cool to, to say you've done it. And I think the way of life there as well Nepal is 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 obviously a lot different than it is in Africa so um yeah just to experience a different culture and the way things operate on the mountain there but Everest Base Camp would maybe be a possibility but apart from that I'm quite happy with uh, 5,895 meters hey yeah I think that's great man because I think often people just want to push it harder and harder all the time and it's sometimes it's important to check back in with yourself and, and make sure you're doing what you like so there's some amazing tracks out there and um, it would be great to have you on Everest Space Camp sometime you know maybe we could do something else in the future anybody who's thinking of of getting out in the mountains just go and do it get yourself a good good footwear 
go and do it. Grab a couple of people uh, and you will have an absolute ball. And anybody who's thinking of going on any big trips to Kelly or Everest or uh, further afield, give it a lot of thought. Get a good training uh, schedule in place. You'll have an absolute blast. So, yeah, that's all for me, really. Listen, man, thanks so much. Really appreciate you coming on and have a super day, all right? Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Bye-bye. Look after yourself. Cheers. This podcast was produced by Earth's Edge. We're a small business based in Ireland who organize big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.